Greetings, I'm Laura Puccivaltorta. Welcome to a new episode of my podcast, B is for Bisexual, Season 2, Episode 5, a story entitled 500 Years. Today, we introduce some new characters, Tabitha, a good witch, and her fellow librarians at the Ballantine Public Library. That library is a beautiful new library that we visit often here in South Carolina. There are no witches working there, at least none that I know about. Maybe librarians are always a little bit witchy. Reading with me today are my son, Dante. Hello. And my husband, Marco. Buongiorno. I'm an attorney and a content creator. My films include Bermuda, a great feature-length comedy, Disability, and the Disease Detective series, available on Amazon and the Tubi channel. A shout-out to listeners in Pennsylvania, Germany, England, South Carolina, Australia, and California. Dear listener, at the end of this episode, I will tell you about something exciting and new that might interest you. And now... 500 years. At the age of 500, Tabitha's wishes had dwindled to three a day she could utilize, and only one of them was any fun. The first two always went for worldly matters, such as hobbling Glubin, ending people's dependence on patriarchal religions, and tackling climate change. The third wish she always reserved for her own peace and amusement, such as forcing her friends to dance to supermarket music or putting a clown suit on a judge. Spying through people's phones was a new aspect of her job, but it didn't make her any more persuasive. Power was draining away from her like sand. Her wishes ricocheted around the universe, softened, and only sometimes ended up making a smidgen of difference. Dictator Glubin revealed where his wife was buried in Switzerland. The Pope admitted to attending a drag show. The CEO of Flick Filet quit killing gay people and purchased an electric vehicle. Tiny improvements. Even as a young witch, 480 years ago, she could not control many things. Slavery was rampant everywhere on earth back then, and she was born too late to prevent the enslavement of Leonardo da Vinci's own mother. She did manage to get commissions for the painter Sofonisba Anguissola. Her protege, Giordano Bruno, was burned at the stake by the Catholics in 1600 for describing our heliocentric universe. Time passed more slowly for Tabitha than for others. She waited to die. And then she compelled her boss to dye his hair yellow, and life made sense again. In the 21st century, Tabitha worked at a library in Ballantyne, South Carolina. She opened boxes of items for shelving, read books on the sly, and plotted for a better world cheaper housing to end the homeless problem in Columbia and Charleston was a daily wish, but it seemed she could only conjure up more beds at the homeless shelter. Illegal drugs kept pouring into the country, 
purchased by rich university kids. Tabitha prevented a few overdoses. Children were still being abused and neglected. Tabitha bashed a few heads in. She also staged random elevator sex for fun. Oftentimes at the library, she got sidelined by the books on the shelves, especially the art books. She read a lot about eugenics in the 1920s. She read about the art of Alice Neal. She read about Rosalind Franklin's discovery of DNA. She didn't confront the patrons much. She was a cataloger and an inferior level employee. You're way behind with your work. Her boss, Mr. Schick, told her. You need to catalog more books. Uh, I finished ten yesterday, she told Schick. <sighs> Schick snorted. Do twenty a day. He commanded her. And you might catch up. She imagined a swarm of bees surrounding Mr. Schick's head. They were drawn to his platinum blonde hairstyle. Tabitha was too old to hate Mr. Schick, even though he was patriarchal pinhead ruled by his penis. She loved him, despite the funny colored hair. He had dreamy black eyes. They walked home together on the footpath from the Ballantine Library to their small clapboard and brick neighborhood. Schick owned several of the houses there and lived in the biggest one. So I heard from Todd yesterday, said Sam. That was what Tabitha called him outside the library. Sam, not Mr. Schick. He says he likes his classes. Tabitha knew that Todd Schick was a clueless dumbass. He lived with his mother most of the time, but was a real estate agent at a big firm. And she straightened her hair. Sandy Schick slept around a lot, and she sat through the firm's excellent class, uncultural sensitivity, with a frown on her face and her arms crossed. Tabitha didn't waste any of her tricky wishes on Sandy, who was ridiculous enough already. Sandy was like a walking dictionary of offensive language. Faggot, wop, dago, wanker, mafia, wetbag, wog, greaser, plus many corruptions of the words negro and redneck which Tabitha thought would be an excellent title for a book, and one she was planning to write for money. If you didn't know what words were insulting and why, how could you exist in the United States? He got ridden up by the student council tribunal for calling somebody a monkey, said Sam. I know, said Tabitha. Todd is the real monkey. With a couple of wishes involving cement shoes and a motorized scooter going around and around the quad, she had subsequently prevented Todd from smoking pot and getting drunk because she wanted him to absorb and remember precisely what he had done and whom he had hurt. The other law student, a young woman, had been upset and angry. She'd yelled at Todd in front of other people outside on the quad, and Tabitha had wanted Todd to be sober enough to hear himself being called a wanker. Have a talk with your son, said Tabitha. Make him listen to you and respond before you give him any more spending money. Wait a second, how'd you know I was giving him money? Tabitha considered how to respond. Ah, Selena told me. She's the daughter of a friend from England, and she's thinking about becoming a law librarian. Selena was the ex-girlfriend, 
the one Todd had called a monkey, in class after Selena gave a particularly riveting presentation. Oh, said Sam, staring at the ground. They walked through the woods, sidestepping puddles. A pilated woodpecker tapped staccato on a tree and screamed out. Tabitha liked this neighborhood because it was surrounded by trees and birds. Why don't you come over to my house to look at my latest paintings, Sam said. He was always encouraging Tabitha to critique his art. The paintings were bad. So-called rocks and meadow scenes done in straight lines in brown and gray. And they never even had sex afterwards, much to Tabitha's disappointment. I don't know, said Tabitha. I might have a date. Tabitha never had a date, but she needed to compose her wishes for the night. She and Sam bumped fist and parted ways. Back at her lovely house, wood, granite, music, paintings, and sculptures, plus a leather yellow sofa and a large TV, Tabitha sat at the natural edge dining room table to compose her daily wishes. Number one, force Glubin to release the Ukrainian children. Number two, restore democracy in Niger. Number three, reveal on Blockhead News that Melon Musk was a robot. This last one was a personal preference. Melon's face had been designed weird by the robot company, a bunch of lesbian engineers who had started out to design a Chinese woman robot. She stared at her purple notebook. These wishes look like poetry. Maybe they were poetry. Vote, bring back the vote in Niger. Democracy is essential for the people there. Glubin, let the Ukrainian children go. You're nothing but an evil. So and so. You'll go down in history as a schoolyard bully, short potato-faced and silly. And please let the internet declare Milan Musk has a fake body and hair. Boom-ba. A boom-ba. Not bad, thought Tabitha. She looked at her watch. It was only 7 p.m. Maybe Sam was still at home working on his paintings. She texted him. Sam replied with a champagne emoji. Tabitha walked out the door carrying her poetry notebook. It was time to talk about art. Tabitha owned her sweet house, but six of them in the neighborhood were rented out by Sam. He lived in the nicest place that he owned, a U-shaped palace with an exercise room and a library. Sam opened the door with a glass of Prosecco in his hand. Come on, come join me in the kitchen, he said. That's where he did all his painting. The kitchen was filled with cubist wonders on canvas. Canvas. Frank Stella might have pulled it off, but Sam was a librarian at heart, not a painter. He used the wrong colors, gray and top. These paintings are ugly, said Tabitha. They're like the guts of the houses sold by your stupid ex-wife. You should try portraiture. For example, paint Eugene Myers. He's a friend of yours. Sam blushed. Eugene? Eugene was their supervisor. His face was like silly putty stuck to a newspaper. Horror sells, said Tabitha. She was not kidding. The world was afraid of everything at the moment. And the reason was people like Eugene. Watching horrific art purged people of their fears. Hmm, that might be a good idea. 
The next day at the library, Mr. Schick, Detto Sam, seemed happier than usual. He greeted people at the door, helped some people with cataloging, and approved Tabitha's display on banned books, ones that had actually been removed from school libraries. The list included The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews, and the wonderful book Another Day by David Levithan. Tabitha had shaved the head of every book banner on a school council she could find in the news. Tabitha came out of her cataloging cubby and watched Mr. Schick paint the poster for the band display. He was whistling. What's going on? said Tabitha. These books are all the ones that I recommended to you. I know, said Mr. Schick. And Eugene hates them. It's a good way to get his attention. The display was an instant success. People wanted to see what the controversy was all about. They snapped up the banned books, and Tabitha had to order more copies to put on display. On the way home from work, Sam was lighter on his feet. What's gotten into you? said Tabitha. Come to my house and you'll see. Tabitha followed Sam into his house. Unlike most of the other houses in Ballantine Grove, he had a foyer with a bench, bookshelves, and closets that led to the living room where his painting gear was set up. On the easel was a large portrait of Eugene. Tabitha stood staring at it. This was a different Eugene than the Mr. Myers she knew as the county library director. This was a person with striking gray eyes and a shock of mouse brown hair. He was pensive. He was holding a book. His skin was still the color of silly putty. You love him, said Tabitha. She was ashamed of herself for not bothering to study her good friend Sam more closely. Sometimes witches focused on the news too much and ignored the people around them. Uh, I wouldn't say love, said Sam. He's handsome, but he can be a control freak. Huh, said Tabitha. She felt stupid for yearning to have sex with her boss, who was probably gay. Sam sat heavily onto his couch. You know, Eugene and I had an affair back in the day. His wife doesn't know about it. My son doesn't know either. Ha ha ha! Tabitha laughed because now she understood that Sam was gay. You have power over Eugene. Go with it. You already put up your display of banned books that will sun his buns when he sees it. Now ask him for a raise. At the library, Sam, also known as Mr. Schick, sang while he worked. He sang a bunch of cheesy Christmas carols. Eugene was scheduled for his monthly visit to their branch. It was a long drive for him, almost an hour, and he normally spent very little time with them. Tabitha was secretly removing religious books for kids and replacing them with science-based books on the actual history of the planet Earth. Eugene walked in wearing a gray suit and a white cravat that were not his right colors, should have been purple. He stared at the banned books display with arms akimbo. 
Tabitha thought he was about to scream. The smell of lavender filled the library. Then Sam walked by, and Eugene peeled away as they marched shoulder to shoulder toward Sam's office. When she ambled past the office door around noon, there were muffled sounds. She wanted to knock and ask them both to eat lunch with her at Mio's, but Sam's office had become a bordello. She could see the aura, like wavering plumes of violet smoke, coming from the cracks in the door. Tabitha utilized a fun wish, and a gaggle of geese entered through the window of Mr. Schick's office. There was laughter, and the men, half-naked, burst through the door and ran screaming out, followed by the geese, honk, honk. Tabitha watched, amused, but she knew it, it would take more than geese to separate Sam and Eugene. At home, Tabitha headed straight to her computer after grabbing a bowl of her favorite snack, chocolate-covered ants. The gloves were off. She had work to do. She hit the Wicca app and clicked on phone surveillance. You had to be skillful to get to use this app, at least 300 years old and certified. The classes were cloud-based. Tabitha wasn't very good at it. She hadn't figured out how to activate the video control. All she could channel to her brain were sounds and smells. She had Sam's phone number. His bedroom was decorated in beige and amber tones. This much she knew from snooping at his house. She hoped this evening he would take his phone into the bedroom. Sure enough, there were groaning noises and the smell of lavender. At the climax, there was shouting of a comical nature. Tabitha laughed and nobody heard her, but the laughing made her remember notes from her surveillance class. She snapped her fingers and the notes hung in the air before her eyes. The notes said there was a way to talk back through the phone. It was called interfering. Tabitha typed 666 on her computer. She chose tenor voice disguising herself as Eugene, who was probably the catcher in this scenario. He was still married, after all, and was too weak to convey the truth about his sexuality to his wife. Tell your son not to sell the property. Silence reigned for a moment. Huh? I don't know why I said that. Tabitha dialed 666 again. This is some nice property, you own seven houses. Tell Todd not to sell them. He can create a small nature preserve. You've, you've never even met Todd. Sam sounded very confused and worried. I know, but I do want to meet him someday. Tabitha was surprised that Eugene had come up with this line himself. Perhaps he wanted to become less furtive, exposes true sexuality. Yeah, maybe. Sam sounded skeptical. I mean, he's known that I'm gay for a while, but he's never met any of my friends. I need to tell my wife, said Eugene. She deserves the truth. I thought you called her a monster. Marsha the monster. <laughs> there were snorts of laughter, the rustling of sheets, and a quick whiff of lavender. Yes, but Marsha might like being called a monster. After that... Kissing noises started up. Tabitha decided to log off, 
but before hitting the buttons, he intoned, We need to give Tabitha a raise. The next day after work, Tabitha rushed over to Sam's house uninvited before snacking on ants or composing her wishes for the day. She walked into his living room without knocking. Hello, I brought some poetry to read, celebrating my $25 an hour. Sam smiled at her. Hey, I want to hear it, but first look at this painting. Sam pointed toward a new portrait of Eugene, leering this time and wearing a lavender-colored jacket. There was a twinkle in Eugene's eyes, like after sex. The painting was creepily lifelike. It's nice, I guess, said Tabitha. More like a photograph. Oh, don't fall all over yourself, gushing with praise, said Sam, arms akimbo. This is a coming-out-of-the-closet gift for Eugene. Shouldn't he stay inside the closet? No way, said Sam. It's much better living out here, you know, in the danger zone. Tabitha got to the point. Now that you've solved your relationship problem and my raise, you can talk to Todd. Tell him who you are, and then he shouldn't sell the property to Lesbo developers. Tabitha knew from surveillance that the creators of Melon Musk would soon try to snap up a bunch of property for a big robot distribution center in Ballantyne. Melon, the robot, had been trained to run a library very cheaply. What? Oh, I've been doing some research on local land use. Just let Todd know that this land is sacred. It's the home of many pilated woodpeckers. Sam nodded. And gosh, don't be afraid of your own son. They spent the rest of the evening drinking Prosecco and eating Tarali. As usual, they neglected Tabitha's poetry. She felt like a counselor to Sam, solving the puzzle of his life. Thirty years later, Tabitha was still living near the Ballantine Library that was now delivering books to patrons by drone. It was amazing to her that books still existed, but people loved them. Sam was dead, and Tabitha, now head of the Ballantine branch, felt weaker than ever. Hurricanes had wiped out Charleston and the Barrier Islands, including Hunting Island and Hilton Head. Gullah culture and the language only survived in films and literature. Tabitha felt lucky to be settled in the Midlands and wondered where she would go next. But she knew that she had to move on once Todd made his decision. He came to her house one day. I'm Todd. You knew my dad. He said through her door camera. I know. Tabitha recognized the kind eyes of Sam. She opened to let him in. Tabitha brought out Prosecco and Tarali on a plate. And Todd's face lit up with recognition. My dad was pretty courageous. He said... Back when I was in law school, he told me he was gay. And that was before we had gay equality in this country. Thank goodness for President Sharon, said Tabitha. The video of Sharon's supermarket butt-swinging dance to Make Me Feel by Janelle Monet had helped her get elected. Tabitha had a clear connection to the president's phone and had influenced such decisions as free health care for all and the new Equal Rights Amendment. Yes, 
Dad always thought you were gay. Todd informed her. Tabitha sighed. No, I was always in love with him. Todd reached out to put his hand over hers and smiled. Single life suits you. You don't look a day over 50. Tabitha grimaced and considered forcing Todd to dance uncontrollably to beat King or slipping a president dump mask over his head. Thanks, I guess. I have to let you know that this neighborhood will become a nature preserve in honor of the pileated woodpecker. You can stay here, but you'll be living in the middle of a state park. I know. I'm following Dad's wishes. Don't worry, said Tabitha. I've been planning for this day. My next job will be at a library in Austin, Texas. Wonderful. How do you know that? Telepathy. Todd choked in his tarallo. That's in the middle of a war zone. I know. That's why I'm going there. They need help. Giving up poetry, I guess I need to learn how to play guitar. Somehow Tabitha realized that her playing of the guitar would be horrible. But she had to do it. The end. And now, folks, I want to tell you that a new episode of the Disease Detective series, this one about strokes and aphasia, will premiere at Russell House on the University of South Carolina campus. The first two episodes of the series are on Tubi. That's TubiTV.com. T-U-B-I-T-V.com. Ciao until next time and happy 2024. Ciao. Ciao.